Hello everyone, welcome to episode 25 of the Bullnock Sports Show. I'm host CJ Hawk, and this is part 2 of our episode 25 extravaganza, where we are doing three interviews for this episode. Part 1 was released yesterday, which was my friend Cassidy Stevenson and her mom, Kara, talked about the Chicago Cubs. This part is guest Jack O'Hara, his first time on the show. We talked about many different things involving the New York Yankees, minor league baseball, hockey, WWE, and more. And finally, the last part, which is going to be part three, I recorded last week, and that was an interview with Jenna Somberg, who is my friend, well, my sister's friend, and we talked about water polo and her swimming career, diving career. I had a really good time. That's part three. So thank you for listening to Bullhawk Sports Show. Episode 25 is about to begin. Lately. So I know that the latest thing that they were talking about is doing a 50-game season, and we were kind of talking about that beforehand. The original plan was 114 games. MLB denied that offer from the Players' yeah. Union, and now they're countering with a 50-game plan where the players can opt out of playing uh, the season. It's going to be like 1994 all over again with the player strike. There could be replacement players, guys from the minor leagues, even though there's been a ton of minor league baseball cuts as well. So I really don't know what's going to happen this year. I, if I'm a betting man, I, I would say there will be no major league baseball in 2020 just because they can't get any of their shit together. But at the same time, like 50 games, I'll take one game of baseball this year. I'm, I'm done watching encores. Like, the, the Yankees and the Yes Network have been playing encores of just random games that they either win or lose on TV. Like, just random games, like a 4-1 to loss with the White Sox uh, with absolutely no highlights from the game. Like, it was just nonsensical. Like, why are you putting this on TV? We want new, we want fresh baseball. Uh, Korean baseball, it's a blast. It's been fun. But uh, I want Major League Baseball back on my television screen. Yeah, that's the same as NBC Sports Chicago. They play like they're playing the 2005 Chicago White Sox World Series games like every day. It's not fun to watch, is it? No, I thought it was gonna be really fun, but like I watched like one of the games. And I was like, I already know what's gonna happen. I know like basically all this stuff because they talk about the 2005 White Sox in like a normal day, like all the time. Oh my! Well, I I would say like the current uh, and just to go back to talking about. Uh, the season and kind of the arguments that's going on between the Players Association as well as Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred. I think the current debate between players and owners, it's going to have ramifications now and in 2021 when the existing uh, collective bargaining agreement ends because the players, I think, believe their 2020 salary negotiation uh, and give it has ended. I mean, the owners want further cuts to push back their pending losses from a shorter season without fans. And, and the players don't trust the owners. I mean, I think that's obvious right now. The owners want to kind of suppress the players' wages. So, I mean, here they are butting heads once again. And again, like I alluded to earlier, the players suggested 114 games and the league did not technically counter, though it started the process to argue for a 50-game season. And in between would be 82 games, kind of like an NBA season. I mean, it remains the most likely outcome if they are to play. But what is becoming more clear, I think, is that nobody wants to play baseball in November. I think the owners have spoken uh, fiercely on that topic in the same manner that players have spoken about 
further salary cuts, up to 70% salary cuts this year. I think it was uh, the Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks owner Ken Kendrick, who said in a radio appearance a few days ago that he said that he didn't want to take the risk of putting their players at jeopardy um, and and their game in peril to be playing games beyond the end of October and that their model will uh, be to never change that they're going to be playing baseball in the month of November or later. And it wouldn't even make sense unless they're playing in Tokyo at the Tokyo Dome or somewhere uh, neutral with a roof, you know? Like, it just doesn't make sense. So to me, if I'm a betting man... It doesn't seem like they're on the same page at all. So if I'm a betting man, I don't think there's going to be baseball played in 2020. I don't know about you. I think, maybe if you asked me maybe a month ago, I would have said I was maybe 50% sure it would happen. Now I'm more 10, 15% sure. This, they're so far apart, the owners and the players. Because 50 games and 114 games aren't even in the same ballpark. That's not even close. And if they really don't want to play in November, frankly, they should just scrap it and move on to 2021 season. I mean, it's a 64-game difference they're on. Yeah. They're not even in the same universe right now. I'm close. And the players are so angry about the pay cuts and the owners can't figure out anything else. They should just cancel. And obviously the issue with canceling is... Like to me, the biggest thing that I can take away, and I've talked about this with a few guys that I've talked to, uh, when it comes to broadcasters and reporters, like what about like the Brett Gardeners of the world, and like those guys who are 39, 40, 41 years old that are in the final stages of their career, taking a year off. That that's that's a big deal for those older guys who really don't know if they're going to continue playing or not. Yeah, there are a number of players like that. They're like. They were going to play one more year, maybe two more years, but now are they just going to call it quits or are they going to try to play again? It's hard to tell. And it's hard to kind of rev up that engine again, get the get their bodies ready for a season after taking an entire year off. And you don't know, like maybe this year off and time spent with their families, it's like, well, maybe I wanna I wanna stay here. Like this was fun this year, and they they end up not coming back. Especially, uh, and the other side of that is that guys like Mookie Betts who have one year left on their contracts uh, with the Dodgers, like the Dodgers are getting screwed here, not having a chance to go out there with Cody Bellinger and Justin Turner and Mookie Betts and Jock Peterson, like, they're getting screwed big time offensively, like, this could have been their year in 2020, as well as the Yankees' year in 2020, uh, it's very frustrating, and I guess everybody's going through it, so that makes it a little less frustrating, but very frustrating knowing that there's a ton of talent and a ton of potential on some of these teams just being wasted this year. That's the same as White Sox, because a lot of people are really excited for uh, Luis Robert to be called up. He's just wasting away because they're not playing any minor league games at all or anything. And I think, like, the biggest guy was Max Scherzer, who came out and said, like, there's no way we're doing this, taking 60%, 70% pay cuts this season. And Scott Boris, obviously, advising all of his players, like, MLB cannot play without you guys, so don't agree to anything that they're saying. So, and again, like we mentioned, it's a 64-game difference. MLB wants 114 games. The players want 50 games, or vice versa. The players suggested 114, and then the league suggested 50 games. 
they're in two totally different ballparks, no pun intended, two totally different universes. I just don't see anything getting done this year. But we do have other stuff that we could uh, watch, especially given we've talked about it before we went on. The Roy Halladay Imperfect documentary just came out. I mean, I know you got a chance to look at it a little bit. What did you think of this documentary uh, given its circumstances? Because, again, I didn't know that he dealt with drug abuse and drug addiction. to the uh, Phillies Talk podcast pretty often, and they talk about Roy Halsey often, especially during the lead-up to the documentary. But I didn't know to the extent that he was dealing with all this pain during his career and even after he had retired. Yeah. I didn't, it was such a big part. And I think it was mainly towards the end of his career. Like I don't think he struggled during his time in Toronto. Like His drug addiction... Uh-huh started in his final years playing with the Phillies with uh, an opioid addiction, I think it was, because of pain in his back during, like, the 2011-2012 season. And I think he retired in December of 2013, they said. But even his wife was talking passionately about it, as she obviously should. Uh, Apparently he shrunk three inches from compression in his spine because he kept playing through the pain and just kept using painkillers to... Uh, soften the blow, if you will, when he was on the mound because he wouldn't go on the DL. He didn't want to stop because uh, he missed so many months in 2011. And when he came back in 2012, nothing had changed. He was still in so much pain, so he just kept taking prescription drugs. And apparently they weren't even drugs from the Phillies team doctors. It was just from a guy that he paid cash to uh, uh, um, at a pharmacy that one of his teammates, I think it was Kyle Kendricks, who was often in that documentary too, that kind of uh, told him this is where you should get it or like here's another way you can get it from out from uh instead of using the doctor's approval from the philadelphia phillies but he shrunk three inches from compression in his spine in his back and then obviously he went to rehab in 2013 um his son talks candidly about it as well like i mean roy halliday apparently just had to be the absolute best on the mound and i think a lot of people can relate to that like everybody wants doesn't want to be like the average joe especially when you're a major league baseball player because he struggled his first year i know in 1998 uh, he had over a 10 era with the blue jays just got rocked on the mound really didn't have anything going and then when he came back he didn't get sent back down he was the best pitcher in baseball for the next 15 to 20 years in Toronto and in Philadelphia, had the best year I think a pitcher's ever had in 2010 when he threw the perfect game in Miami, and then he threw the no-hitter in the postseason, NLDS game one against the Cincinnati Reds, and I think still to this day, just him and Don Larson are the only two to throw no-hitters and a perfect game in postseason baseball play, um, and then obviously his son's team went 30-0 and in the high school championship when he was the head coach. So he's perfect in that sense. I think he was kind of depressed that he never won a ring as a player. That was always his big goal. He never got there. Um, and then, obviously, I don't know if he caught the end of that uh, film when they kind of talked about the day of his death and what happened. Uh, just a very, very sad thing. Did you get a chance to watch that? No, I didn't get a chance to see that. I mean, I won't ruin it completely for you, but, like, there's just text messages going back and forth with his wife. She wanted him... Uh, to go to his son's uh, band thing at school. or she, I, I guess they were both going, but she wanted him to go get lunch with him so that they can go together. And he was like, nah, I, I got to take my uh, my uh, aircraft back to the airport because I guess it was just in their backyard, his chopper that he had. And uh, I guess they were all bitter. They were in a fight. And they, there were several text messages um, swapped back and forth. And then eventually... Um, 
apparently he told her that he was flying it back to the airport, uh, the aircraft, and I think it was, uh, he told his wife that he was flying north to the airport, but he actually flew west near the Gulf of Mexico, where obviously that's where they found the aircraft in the water. Uh, so he lied to her and then ends up dying. And I think there were uh, there was morphine, among other things, morphine, amphetamine, among other things, found in his system when he had died. So his drug addiction, even though he went to rehab twice, that's what they said throughout the documentary, he went to rehab twice, he didn't really get over it. And uh, it's just sad to watch one of the greatest athletes, one of the greatest pitchers you've ever seen in Major League Baseball history, and A-Rod alludes to it in the documentary as well, have such uh, issues at such a young age because he retired at 36 and then he's gone by 40 years old. We saw it earlier this year, Kobe Bryant dying tragically in a helicopter accident at 41, as well as the other three families involved. It's just sad to see some of these guys who worked their entire lives to be Hall of Fame type uh, or even just worthy uh, human beings and athletes in a sense, not even get a chance to uh, speak at their own Hall of Fame inductions because Kobe Bryant obviously getting inducted this year and Roy Halladay's wife spoke on behalf of him in 2019. I mean, Roy Halladay worked his entire life to be up there on that stage in Cooperstown and he didn't even get a chance to uh, do it himself. Yeah, it's just a sad, tra- tragic event of a guy gone way too soon. I think the title of the documentary was a good one, Imperfect. I think it fit the theme. Oh, 100%. And his wife talks about it at the beginning. She's like, I hate that word. I hate the word perfect because, uh, again, he threw the perfect game, the no-hitter. He strived to be perfect every time he was out on the mound. She even said that he threw up before every single game. From the time he was 18 to the time that he was 36 years old when he retired, he would throw up before every game. He would take sleeping pills the night before because he was so anxious, couldn't sleep at night. Uh, I mean, it's a real problem. It's a real problem to go through anxiety, depression, especially when you're trying to be absolutely perfect all the time like Roy Halladay did. It's very sad. I'm glad we got to talk about the Roy Halladay, his life in the documentary. And again, it's available on e60espn.com as well if you check it out. I'll admit, I, I cried a little bit, teared up a little bit at the end uh, watching that documentary. It's just, it's a very sad documentary, but also very, um, very knowledgeable. If you're a baseball fan, if you're a fan of Roy Halladay, Phillies fan, Blue Jays fan, definitely one you want to check out. I agree. Moving on to a new topic, do you want to talk about... Let's see. What do you want to talk about next? Well, we could talk about the uh, minor league baseball, or I guess major league baseball draft. It's being shortened, right, to only five rounds this year? Is what you were telling me? Yeah, only five rounds. So five rounds this year. uh, I think it was Jeff Passan that first reported it, saying that the 2020 major league baseball draft is going to be only five rounds. Um, All players who go undrafted are apparently going to be eligible to sign for a maximum of $20,000 while... There was also a proposal to the union for a 10-round draft, but the sides didn't come to that agreement. So all players that go undrafted are eligible to sign a contract for a maximum of $20,000. And I think it was on March 26th, which was supposed to be opening day 2020, the uh, Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association agreed to a deal that gave MLB the right to shorten the draft 
to only five rounds, which is good and bad. There's pros and cons on each side. As you know, you're, you're a Cubs fan. I'm a Yankee fan. Um, I mean, the shortened format turns into a positive, I think, for the Yankees, potentially outweighing the loss of some of the picks that they would have had because the caveat to the league's decision, I guess, to, to shorten the draft is that teams are going to have an opportunity to select an unlimited amount of undrafted free agents during a designated signing period, after all. And, and that being said, depending on how teams approach the next few months financially from a financial standpoint, uh, some clubs may even choose to bring in a large group of players that would have otherwise been selected in the draft. So from a player projected to be picked, let's say, at the top of the sixth round, you could say, just for example, all the way to the the low-level prospects that would have been called in the final few rounds, anyone available after the fifth round as the final pick is on an even, uh, even playing field. And to keep this process fair between all 30 big league clubs, each signing will be capped off at $20,000, like they said. So with the draft day bonus kind of equal, these uh, phenom players are going to be drafted kind of like the Steven Torkelson, who I know first baseman from ASU is uh, projected to go number one, possibly for the first time ever, a first baseman being drafted as the first overall pick ever. Uh, He can elect to sign and can be recruited based upon organizational fits and personal preference because there, there's plenty of factors that go into these decision-making processes as is the case with any free agency at the big league level but consider this question Colin if you're choosing to sign with a team for a uniform bonus meaning these prospects will earn the same financially regardless of which team they choose why not pick the New York Yankees I mean perhaps they grew up a New York Yankee fan locally maybe they dispersed across the country Maybe they want to be a part of New York's organization because of the history there, player development, and even the culture there these days. Or, you know, a prospect wants to be a part of a farm system with an end goal of making a big league roster that appears to be set for contention for years to come, like the Yankees or even like the Cubs, if they can get all of their crap together, because they are one of the more talented teams in the league, in the National League at least. And everything considered an offer from the New York Yankees or even the Chicago Cubs warrants a player's attention and could potentially outweigh interest from those lower-tier franchises like the San Francisco Giants or Pittsburgh Pirates or the Mets or even the Miami Marlins. So, of course, I mean, there's no way to know yet if those players that take $20,000 from New York or Chicago are going to end up in the big leagues one day. Perhaps the Yankees elect to reserve funds for a different um, venture one day, but these players aren't mandated to sign after this year's draft anyways. They can always return to school or even bide their time um, until 2021. Yeah, I think this is it's definitely interesting having only five rounds. Because I was reading some articles that in the past, like maybe April, they were talking about some of the players who've been drafted over the years that under this new rule would have not been drafted. And some of the names that stood out to me were, for example, Jacob DeGrom. He would not have been drafted. Wow. Or Nelson and Cruz. Those are two names I can remember on top of my head. Could you imagine if it was the NFL? Tom Brady would have never been drafted in 99. Yeah, he never would have been drafted. See you later, Russell Wilson. Wouldn't have been drafted. (laughs) I mean, either way, players that would have otherwise been, you know, like selected in round 6 through 40, they're going to be available to each and every major league club via free agency. I mean, it's feasible that, um, 
like we talked about, the Yankees or the Cubs could come away with several top prospects, they wouldn't have been able to secure. Uh, they wouldn't have been able to secure those uh, prospects had traditional draft day procedures been in effect. So I think there's pros and cons to this, and I guess there's only one way to find out. Tune in uh, later on in the month. And it's also uh, very disappointing not knowing that we weren't going to get uh, the first Omaha MLB draft where they are actually going to have it live from the College World Series. So that's very disappointing. Yeah, I was excited for that too. I think like the one the one good story that MLB has on the, the MLB Network Studios draft is that the first year that they did it, only one player showed up and he almost didn't get drafted. Like all the analysts talked about it, like Harold Reynolds and Matt Vaskersian talked about it, like, oh my God, there's only one kid here. And through the first 25 picks, he wasn't drafted. I think he was the 27th overall uh, round draft pick by the LA Angels, and it just turned out to be the face of baseball, Mike Trout. So I think that's like the one cool story that they have uh, when it comes to having the draft at MLB Network Studios in Secaucus, New Jersey. But it would have been cool to see it in Omaha, Nebraska, given that more players would have been there since everybody's there for the College World Series anyways. Yeah, they especially with Mike Trout when he was drafted like 27th, they mentioned uh, Randall Grigic all the time because he was drafted by the Angels before Mike Trout. So. Wow. And he obviously did not have the same success. I'd say not. And I think, uh, I think... What year had that been? 2009, 2010? I think that was all right, I think. I think the Yankees, uh, the Yankees definitely, I think they were the pick or two before the Angels, and they they skipped Mike Trout. Who did they draft? Uh, let me look that up. It was definitely someone relevant in today's uh, game. It was nobody nearly as close as Mike Trout. They obviously got it right with Aaron Judge in 2013, thank goodness, but... I'm trying to remember who the Cubs were drafted in 09. I can't remember. Let me see if I can find out who the Cubs drafted. He probably wasn't very good. Oh, interesting. I actually interviewed this guy, Slade Heathcott. 2009 out of Texas high school. So an outfielder, and again, like, didn't pan out. Um, I know he spoke about it often. He had off-the-field issues. Um, but yeah, Slade Heathcott was no Mike Trout, that's for sure. The Cubs drafted Brett Jackson. Um, I forever him for a short time, but he wasn't very good either. No. I mean, they got it right with Aaron Judge in 2013, obviously got... Clint Frazier, um, Gary Sanchez, obviously, they got right uh, as a signing uh, free agent. Uh, but, yeah, um, I think that was, like, the one cool story that came out of that MLB Network Studio-designed draft. But this year would have been awesome to see all of those guys out there, given that everyone out there playing college ball was going to be out there in Omaha for the College World Series as it was. So it was going to be quite the spectacle, kind of like what the NFL draft was going to be this year. Yeah, another big, big event I was looking for that probably is going to be canceled is the Field of Dreams game. 
Uh, definitely. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they will postpone that till next year. I still think that game is going to be played because they made the field. Like they're not like they worked their asses off to put the field out, and obviously they're going to lose a lot of money now since they're, they're not creating any revenue on it. But it's there, and once everything goes back to semi-normalcy, they're going to create enough revenue to play a series there. At least, I think the plan was to play um, two games there. It was a three-game series between the Yankees and the White Sox, and two of those games were going to be played in Iowa at the Field of Dreams, which would have been awesome to see. I mean, I know that they were going to sell tickets for like over ten grand, which is probably going to more than make up for the revenue that they used to actually make the ballpark. But uh, it, it's going to be definitely uh, something to watch out for come I, probably, I would say, over the summer in 2021, July, August. Yeah, I agree. What do you think of the cuts by, like, minor league baseball players being cut by teams on, like, the Mets, Cubs? Are you in favor? Do you understand? Or are you more just, like... I mean, yeah, you have to understand it from both sides. I mean, it's a business. So, like you mentioned, those teams, the Cubs, the Yankees have cut over 45 players. It's a business. You can't hold on to all of them. You're not creating any revenue this year. I mean, there's, I mean, money gets brought in by the fans, you know, like uh, concessions. Uh, I mean, that's why beers are fourteen fifty at Yankee Stadium. I don't know what they're at at Wrigley, but that's what they are at Yankee Stadium for a, a 25-cent plastic cup and and a brewski so I, I i see it from a business standpoint but at the same time there's other owners who haven't cut anybody you know because they get it nobody's making anything like you're screwing guys out of their livelihoods because of a pandemic that they had no control over so there's some owners that get it while there's some owners that know that they're this is a business and things have to be uh, done in order for the organization to move forward in a decent situation headed into 2021, and if not uh, th- this summer. So I see it from both ends. Yeah, I, I see it from both ends because I've seen a uh, Dayton Moore. He's the Kansas City Royals GM. He talked about how they're not going to cut a single player, but I thought that's his view. Obviously, they're not making any money, so. Right. I mean, there's some teams that can afford to do that. There's other teams that can't. Like, the Oakland Athletics can't afford to do that. I mean, they have little to no money to spend on these guys that are making $400 a week in the minor leagues, especially for guys that they see no potential in. So, for guys like Dayton Moore, who have the money, uh, the Kansas City Royals, obviously, they're not the Yankees or uh, the Dodgers when it comes to payroll, but at the same time, he gets it. Uh, I, I honestly think that the Yankees could have gone without cutting anybody, but again, they're the evil empire. I see them making business decisions for their their own uh, their, their business. They're the Steinbrenners, the Cashmans. Um, I think the Dodgers, the Mets, the White Sox, the Rays, the Rangers, and the Orioles have also pledged to not uh, cut anybody through the month of June. We'll see what happens when July hits. Um, but I think the White Sox said that they were even providing those uh, the, the stipends to 25 minor league players who they recently released. And the Phillies also plan um, to continue their allowances through the month of June, but likely at a reduction from the $400 per week rate, like I just mentioned. So the amount of money is to be determined for the Phillies and even the White Sox. But uh, and also to add, just to give credit to where credit's due, David Price, left-handed pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers this season, just got traded from the Red Sox this offseason, is uh, giving each player, I believe, $1,000 per month. That's right. Which is astonishing. Yeah, because he hasn't even played one game with the Dodgers yet. I was surprised that he was that generous considering 
Even the ownership wouldn't do that. Well, he may be on a different team, Colin, but he still has that ridiculous $210 contract, or $210 million contract. I let the yeah. million parts slip there. That's true. He, he's not struggling for cash. He's, he's okay. Unlike some players in the minor leagues or fringe major leaguers who aren't exactly rolling in the big bucks. Because I think we talked about on the show before, I don't know if it was with you, but a NAR player, his name's is uh, Simsu Chu on the Texas Rangers. He was also giving out a good amount of money to my leaguer players, too. I mean, for those guys that have those contracts, even Shinsu Chu, I know, he's got a pretty decent contract when he signed with the Rangers when he left Cleveland, or Cincinnati, wherever he was at in Ohio, because I know he played for both of them. Uh, but, I mean, these guys with larger contracts, I mean, good for them. Like, it's their money. They can do whatever the hell they want with it, but to see them go out of their way, because they, they went through the minor leagues. They went through the, the struggles and the grind. Uh, of playing minor league baseball, whether it was living in like a, a 45-foot square building with four or five teammates at a time. You know, like they go through those struggles. You only eat one meal per day, all those bus rides, all those long grinds playing uh, series after series in small towns all over the world. So they understand it from a, that perspective, David Price and Shin Su Chu, among others that we probably haven't heard of yet. But it's definitely nice to see that, uh, that they're supporting each other like Baseball players supporting baseball players because they knew what they went through. They have empathy towards what they went through. Yeah, I have some experiences like that when I would go to a lot of San Jose Giants games, the high class A for the San Francisco Giants, because a lot of the players on the Giants who were rehabbing would play in San Jose. So, for example, uh, Jonathan Sanchez, he used to play for the Giants, and he threw a no-hitter against the Padres in 2009. Once he went to rehab in San Jose, and he usually driving a fancy cream-colored Range Rover, and like all the other cars in the players' parking lot were like beat-up cars and regular old cars, and he was driving like his fancy Range Rover. See, there you go. That's a perfect example. Great story, too. Yeah, because it, it's a lot different when the major leaguers like John Sanchez or also Mark Rosa. I got to meet him personally. He was a really nice guy, but he also was driving like a fancy car, not a I mean, when you have the money, why not? You know, like that was the dream. Live, you, you only got you only, you only only live once, is what they always say. You know. Yep. Were you confident that your team, the Yankees, was going to be a World Series contender this year? Do you think the shutdown or maybe the cancellation affects plans, or do you think it's going to be business as usual? Maybe entering next year. No, it only stalls the plans, Colin. I mean, I think this year. Um, I think we were the favorites before the Dodgers, of course, went out of their way and, and flexed their muscles and went, went out and got Mookie Betts, which I don't think that they necessarily had to do, but definitely put them over the top in the National League. I definitely would have predicted Yankees-Dodgers in, in a 2020 World Series. But moving forward, yeah, the Yankees are still the favorites out of the American League. I don't think it's even close. I mean, who are their competitors? The Houston Astros, yes, they're going to give them a run for their money. We have Garrett Cole now, you know, like, and again, a year off for everybody is going to affect some people in some way for sure. But we still have the best roster, I think the best depth chart in baseball from an overall perspective, just from chemistry as well as talent. Uh, I do agree. I think the Astros was your main competition. Also, there's fringe contenders, like maybe the Twins could have been good, but I don't trust them because they're so they're iffy. But 
And again, like if the Yankees play the Twins in the ALDS, it's a three-game sweep. It always has been. I don't care if they win 116 games, man. We're sweeping them in the in the ALDS. We always have. We've won like 11 straight games dating back to 2004. Death, taxes, and the Yankees beating the Twins every single time, Colin. No, I saw that when you swept them last playoffs. I was like... I know the Twins never can beat the Yankees. I wonder how often. I looked and it was, you're right, it was like 11 straight. They lost. I was like, oh my gosh. I feel like at that point they should just pack up and go home. I mean, the plan was to quote unquote slay the dragon. That's what the Minnesota Twins owner said before that series. We got to slay the dragon this year, and I was I was kind of concerned. I mean, the Twins were a powerhouse. They had over six guys in their lineup with 35 plus home runs, and here the Yankees come again, just making it look easy against the Minnesota Twins. Doesn't matter if it's Joe Mauer and Justin Morneau or Miguel Sano and, and Jorge Polanco. It, it doesn't matter. We 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 got the job done. We took care of business. Now, if we can get over the Houston Astros for once. Then I'll be uh, I'll be happy. I, I do think it'll be another Yankees Astros ALCS come October, and it'll be interesting to see what the Astros uh, get from a fan perspective when baseball comes back. Because I think everybody's just excited to get Major League Baseball back eventually when it comes back. So I think the Houston Astros scandal is going to take a second uh, a back seat to what's going on. Uh, but at the same time, when it all jump starts again and we get back into the normal rhythm of things, that scandal is going to come back up. So I'm very interested to see how uh, visiting, uh, or when they are the visiting team, how fans react and how players react on the field. Because again, that's still an unset. It's still a very um, unfinished situation because more was going to come out of that. Uh, when the season started, because players had to deal with the media almost every single day after a game. You know that somebody, somebody, whether it was Altuve or Correa or even Josh Reddick or even Dusty Baker, for all hell's sake, somebody was going to say something wrong that was going to set the media off and more was going to come out about the 2019 season. Because everybody knows what happened in 2017, but there is a lot of speculation that they cheated in 2019 too. And why isn't there? Because Jose Altuve blatantly looks like he cheated in 2019 after he hit the home run off of Chapman in the ALDS. And there was actually a tweet that Aroldis Chapman sent to Jose Altuve, sent it to the little man's way the other day, talking about the player's bargaining agreement about a potential deal. Because, again, Scott Boris is advising his clients not to sign. And Jose Altuve tweeted out saying that they shouldn't accept the offer because it's too dangerous. And Aroldis Chapman clapped back saying... Regardless of the current situation, Jose, uh, the season is going to be very dangerous for you. I have a 103-mile-an-hour fastball uh, with your name written on it. He said that he was practicing with a scarecrow uh, in his backyard. He said the scarecrow was a little bit bigger than Jose Altuve, but that he'll adjust and that, um, uh, that, that he better watch out, basically, is what he said. I'm looking for the exact tweet, but... Uh, yeah, Jose Altuve should be uh, crapping his pants right about now. He, he does not want to face Aroldis Chapman moving forward when the Yankees come to town. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the Astros sign stealing scandal would have been a bigger deal, more talked about if we didn't have the baseball. It might not be happening, but I think it took a big back burner. You're right. It's on the back burner. And there's this one story that I don't know if you saw, but it was in The Athletic, which is one of my favorite ones to read. And it was uh, written like a week ago or so. And the author was talking about this rule that I actually not did not know about. But he said that from 
85, I think it was 1985 to 2004 in baseball, they interchanged the draft. So let's say, for example, in 1984, the American League would have the number one pick, and then the next year would be the National League, which was I didn't know about. That's interesting. That's an interesting way of looking at things. I don't necessarily agree with it. I kind of like the current platform of, like, worst gets first, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because he, he showed uh, examples of teams that got didn't get the player that they should have drafted since even though they had the worst record, it wasn't that league's turn to pick. So, for example, we talked about Chipper Jones. He actually, if it was based on record, he would have been probably drafted by the Detroit Tigers, maybe not the Atlanta Braves. Interesting. I did not know that. I didn't know. I was like, is it real? But it was verified as a real rules. Huh. It was interesting. It was in the athletic. It was like a week or two ago. And let's see. I think we have some more time for a few more topics if you're down for that. I'm down. Picking up what you're throwing down, Colin. Okay. Because I was talking to my guest for the last episode, and she's a diehard Cubs fan. Like myself. Naturally. She was not not very optimistic about the Cubs' chances and winning the playoff, going to the playoffs or winning the division. She agreed with me that we're probably finishing third or fourth in the division. Do you think that's accurate or anything? Third third or fourth is kind of, uh, I mean, that's a typical fan of your own team. Like, oh, we're not going to be anything. We're going to be shit this year. I'm I'm the same way with the Yankees every year. (laughs) Except this year, I was very confident. Uh, but no, the Cubs should be contending for the NL Central, I think, every single year. They should have been contending for the NL Central the past four years. I, I honestly thought when they won in 2016, I'm like, here we go. Like, buckle up, because it's going to be a very fun ride for Cubs fans here in the next three or four years. They're going to win multiple championships. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, uh, Jason Hayward, if he can get his crap together. The rotation wasn't bad with John Lester leading that charge. I mean, you guys had a perfect roster with perfect chemistry. And for whatever reason, in 2017, they got off to the slow start, ended up working their way back to the championship series before they ran into just a a dynamite club in the Los Angeles Dodgers. They were not going to be stopped in the National League uh, in 2017. I don't think any team was going to be able to contend with them. Uh, Unless, of course, you use uh, trash cans like the Houston Astros did to beat them in the World Series. Uh, and cameras, I might add. But in 2018, 2019, I think 2018 was definitely a very disappointing year for the Cubs losing uh, because they, they had the division wrapped up and the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, they kept creeping closer and closer to the point where they had to play game 163 and uh, the Brewers beat them and then the next night you lose to the Rockies at home. Both those games you had on your home turf at Wrigley Field, game 163 to lose the division and then uh, the wild card game, you lose an extra innings to the Colorado Rockies. Just a very, just a very bitter taste in your mouth if you're Joe Madden that year in the Chicago Cubs. And then obviously in 2019, another very uh, struggling year for the Chicago Cubs, which led to Joe Madden's departure now at the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. But to me, the Cubs now uh, have probably the best leader that they could have gone after. Theo Epstein and uh, uh, Rickles did a fantastic job in searching for that next managerial search because 
Grandpa Rossi, David Ross, couldn't have been a more perfect fit for that locker room, given that he already has chemistry with all those young guys, the Anthony Rizzos and the Chris Bryants from playing with them in 2016 and 2015. I mean, David Ross, absolutely to me, is a perfect pick. Uh, pick for Chicago Cubs manager in 2020 and uh, beyond because of his chemistry, which could lead them back to the postseason. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I was a big fan of David Ross when he was on, on the Cubs, and now he's managing. I think he's good manager material, especially a lot of the most successful managers have turned out to be catchers as well, so that doesn't hurt. Uh, yeah, I mean, you see it with Joe Girardi, with the Yankees, and now with the Phillies. Uh, and none are coming off the top of my head right now, Colin, but you're right. Like, more than half of the league has, has catchers as managers. I mean, it's just uh, built in their DNA. I mean, catchers are leaders of teams out on a defensive standpoint as well as a clubhouse standpoint. I mean, I watched Jorge Posada growing up for many years with the Yankees. I mean, he was a leader on that team, a fierce competitor on that team. Uh, Mike Piazza with the Mets as well during the 2000s, so uh, I totally agree with you. Do you know any of the other uh, former catchers that are currently managers? I mean, there's a ton, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm trying, the ones I'm trying to remember, because Bruce Bochy, he retired, but he was a catcher. Um, Brad Osmus, who was fired, he was a catcher. That's probably not the best example. He's had like three jobs in the last three years. Brad but. I think the new trend is just anybody that, because um, Aaron Boone, obviously, third baseman, uh, Alex Cora, middle infielder with Boston. Um, I don't know what A.J. Hinch played, but I'm just thinking off the top of my head, the newer managers, the younger managers that are being brought through the league, um, not necessarily all catchers. I mean, David Ross, obviously, tremendous backup catcher, kind of a forefront veteran in that clubhouse, whether it was with the Red Sox, the Cubs, whoever he played for. Um but, yeah, I think there's a new trend going on when it comes to Major League Baseball managers. They aren't necessarily all catchers. But And, again, not to say that they don't have great rosters that they go with, but even Aaron Boone last year as a manager had to deal with all of those injuries, and he still went 103 games. I mean, kudos to, to Booney for pulling that off. And then Alex Cora in 2018, I know he's kind of under a lot of heat right now given the scandal in Houston, but the Red Sox have been proven to not really be cheaters in 2018, and they won 108 games, franchise best, with a team that wasn't supposed to win more than 95 games that year. So you got to give kudos to those guys for what they were able to do, despite all the talent that they had on their teams. Yeah, I agree. So at this point, I think we're both at the agreement that baseball probably won't be happening. So is there a sport that you're going to focus on more than usual due to it being on when baseball's not, or... Are you going to get ready for the next baseball season? Uh, well, I think, you. I mean, what what do we have? I mean, NFL is going to start, uh, I think, on time, regardless if fans are going to be in the stands or not, which is going to be definitely weird to see. We saw, obviously, with the XFL getting canned because of all of this. But why not? I mean, how can you not watch MMA right now? It's the only thing going on. UFC, you got UFC 250 on Saturday. Amanda Nunez returns to the ring, or the octagon, excuse me. And then, of course, coming up, it's not confirmed, but they have both agreed to the fight. Conor McGregor versus Anderson Silva, Spider Silva, back in the octagon taking on Conor McGregor, who Conor McGregor even said was the number one best fighter in MMA history. So now he's going to go head-to-head with his hero which is going to be awesome to see. There's a ton of great fights on the horizon in UFC because everybody's healthy, everybody's ready to go. Jorge Masvidal is ready to go. Nate Diaz is ready to go. Like we just mentioned, McGregor, Anderson Silva coming back. Um, Justin Geethy just beat 
uh, Tony Ferguson, Heath, he's going to take on Khabib Nurmagomedov. Uh, I cannot believe I pronounced that right. I almost never get that name right. But he's going to face Khabib, Khabib versus Geethy in the future as well for the lightweight championship. I mean, how can you not watch UFC right now? Given even the commentary, you got Joe Rogan on commentary. He just signed that $100 million deal with Spotify for the Joe Rogan experience. Rogan, uh, John Anik, as well as DC, Daniel Cormier on commentary. I don't know if you saw it, UFC 249, they actually... Uh, did commentary, the three of them, they all had their, they all three of them had separate tables around the octagon, and they'd like scream at one another in order to hear each other to do commentary, which I thought was very comical, but how can you not watch UFC right now, man? I agree, that that is one that normally I would not be watching, but I should take a look, especially since it's one of the few live ones going on. Because I know, just at least today, just today, they announced some more on the NBA and basketball about like the reopening plan. So that I mean that could be good. Yeah, they're going to restart their season in Orlando at uh, ESPN Wide World of Sports. So. Kudos to the NBA for um, uh, trying to put their season together. As they, again, they they're trying to get the season out of the way so that they can start preparing or preparing for October, November to start the 2021 season. So they're going to be back to back. They're going to have a lot of basketball here in the next 15 months or so. Yeah, my co-host uh, DJ Bang the Bull. He's not going to be very pleased because the Bulls, Chicago Bulls, are not in the plan. Because only 22 teams are going to come back, and they are one of the eight eliminated ones. Hey, you can always relive the 90s Bulls. Did you see the documentary, Last Dance? I only got to watch a few of them, but I heard it on ESPN all the time, like them talking about it, so I'm a, I learned a lot about it. It's definitely, again, we mentioned the Roy Halladay Imperfect documentary, One and Done. This is a 10-part documentary series uh, kind of casted by Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. Tremendous in-depth look at uh, at those 90s Bulls teams as well as the 98 team that won the sixth championship. They were all ready to come back for a seventh, Colin. I don't know if you knew that, but they were all ready to come back for a seventh championship. Um, Jerry Cross, the general manager, didn't allow it to happen. He had what they called, quote-unquote, little man syndrome or short man syndrome. Just his ego got in the way of everything. Traded Scottie Pippen. Michael Jordan retired for a second time after retiring in 1993. Uh, Dennis Rodman was released, which made absolutely no sense to me. I mean, those big three um, just manhandled. Uh, during those 96, 97, 98 seasons. So it's a very interesting documentary, especially for you Chicagoans, you Chicago natives out there that want to go see uh, uh, the the famed Chicago Bulls before Derrick Rose tore his ACL and kind of gave everybody false hope in the early 2000s. I saw that you, because Jack O'Hara, he is a host of the O Show. I saw you talk to one of our friends, uh, Neil O'Donnell, about the Oh, that was a great blast from the past, dude. I mean, we we got a chance to talk about the documentary, some uh, Southern California Catch, which is a team that we were all a part of. Neil, of course, uh, he was the sports information director. I was play-by-play broadcaster. You were the public address announcer. Uh, We've talked about we talked about that the first time we came on the the Bowling Hawks Sports Show, and uh, I mean, just probably still to this day, the the best summer of my life so far, only 21 years old, but still the best summer of my life, uh, calling games for the Southern California Catch as a part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We went to Mexico, uh, uh, Primo Tapia in Baja, California, uh, helped uh, build some uh, shelters for the homeless. 
We uh, had some fun trips both in Northern California and Southern California. We actually talked about um, the ISIS Oasis, which was awesome. I, I still think that was probably like – it was weird at the time, but looking back at that, like what, a, what, an, what an experience to be uh, in, in that house with everybody, you know? I, I agree. I think when we were on the way to the ISIS Oasis, I was like, interesting, interesting. And then we got there, I was like, oh, I think everybody agreed that it was going to be weird, but nobody really um, uh, treated it as such until we got there. Like, when we got there, it hit us like a brick wall. Like, oh my god, we can't stay here. Like, this is absolutely freaking nuts that we have to stay here. But we got through it. It was great. Nobody died. We all uh, came out safe. I think the next day, our general manager was like, guys, I'm sorry. We probably should have rented a hotel. We did not do our homework on this. And I think the people that owned the ISIS Oasis were like, I don't want to say anti-Christians, but they were more like uh, into Buddhism and like things that just straight up were like not about what the SoCal Cats were about, which was very funny to me um, uh, in that weekend right outside of San Francisco. Uh, but we got to go to San Fran uh, and throughout that summer, just an incredible experience living in Southern California, especially uh, I know you grew up, you uh, uh, previously lived in uh, uh, Northern California before the move to Chicago. Uh, I'm in Jersey. Of course, Neil lives in Chicago, born and raised. Like, it was just an interesting experience for all of us getting to live with guys. Even you lived with Davis Ford, which is a good buddy of mine from Grand Canyon University. Um, just being around people from Chicago and California and New York, New Jersey, like, the the fact that we all came from different backgrounds and were able to have such a strong connection that summer was something that was definitely special. I, I agree. It's one of my favorite moments, too. Do you have any final stories you want to discuss? Because I think we've hit all the main notes that I sent you. Is anything else happening in the world of sports, Colin? I think we touched up on anything. I mean, I think we've touched up on everything. I think the last one has to do with the NHL, with hockey, because they're doing kind of a similar reopening plan as like the NBA, where they're going to have I think it's going to be in July. It's either late June or July when the season will be reopened to playoffs. They're going to have uh, 24 teams and seven teams are already eliminated. So they have like 24 teams and the Blackhawks are included. Oh, thank you.